If you would, take your Bible and open to Mark chapter 3. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3, starting around verse 20, and we're going to cover several verses going through the end of that chapter. We'll finish up Mark chapter 3 this morning. A couple of notes as we're getting started, things that might be helpful for you to know about. This next coming, uh, we have a lot of things actually going on at Emmaus today, this afternoon. Uh, next Sunday night, our guys are doing a men's ministry event. I want you to know about that. You can find information about that on our website. Vacation Bible School is coming, uh, and you heard through those deacon testimonies the importance of Vacation Bible School, the impact that Vacation Bible School has, and so if you know people that you want to sign up for VBS, be sure you get them signed up. Our kids are, are not our kids, our teenagers are going to Falls Creek uh, right after that, and then our elementary kids, they go to their camp at the end of June, so we have a lot of different things coming our Wednesday night programming is a little bit different during the summers. That won't happen until we get to July. So we'll resume Wednesday nights when we get to July, and we'll try to keep you uh, in the loop with all that kind of information. As we get started this morning, I want to begin with a little bit of an illustration. Now, when I was growing up, and, and my kids say that I grew up in the 1900s, which was true. Uh, I would like to say it was the later part of the 1900s. So I did grow up in the 1900s, but that makes it sound like it was the early decades. We're talking about like late 80s, you know, 90s. When I was growing up, Friday nights were often pizza and then TGIF sitcoms on, on ABC. So uh, if it was a really good time, it was the Book It pizza program, where if you read a certain number of books at school, you would get a personal pan pizza, like we just lived for the Book It pizza program. So you got your little personal pizza, and you'd come home on Friday night, and we would watch Full House and Step by Step. And then there was a show on called Family Matters. Uh, Family Matters, one of the characters on there was the neighbor nerd character, Urkel, who was always coming over to the Winslow's house. And like, he really wanted to be with their daughter. Like that's what he was really going after. But he would come over and he, he played this particular character with the suspenders and the goofy voices and all these one-liners that he, that he had. But what Urkel really wanted, he wanted to be a part of their family. We never got a great picture of what his family was about, but he was looking for a family. He was looking for a place to belong and he was always going over to the Winslows, and he annoyed the dad like crazy, and he turned the daughter away from him like crazy, even though it worked out for him later. But all these things were going on, why? Because he wanted to be a part of a family. Now that's a goofy and, and silly illustration to get us toward this point this morning of thinking, what does it mean to be a part of a family? And, and even more importantly, what does it mean to be a part of the family of God? Many of you have shared with me about your own journey to trace your family heritage. Uh, it seems like every family has one person in the family who loves to trace out the heritage, to see how many generations they can go back and what they can find out about their family. And it's fun to see where we've come from, to see those people and those backgrounds that have shaped us. But we know this morning, even from hearing these illustrations and these testimonies up here, our biological family certainly has an impact on our life. But that's not the only thing that shapes us. That's not the only thing that defines what it means to be a part of a family. 
And when you think about family, it may be really positive thoughts, or when you hear me talk about family and background, your stomach may tighten up a little bit. Like, your thoughts of family are not positive. When you think about family and think about biological family, a lot of your goal has been to get away from that or, or to do something different. And we come to Scripture this morning with all these thoughts about what does it mean to be a part of a family and what does it mean to be a part of the family of God. And Jesus is such an important figure for this. Because let's be honest, when we read the New Testament, Jesus has some pretty radical things to say about family. Things that even in our world today would not be well accepted, would not be easy to receive. And so we're going to go through this journey this morning of seeing what does Jesus have to say about family? How does that help us understand our biological families? But more important, your question this morning is, am I part of the family of God? Do I know what it is to be a child of God? for Jesus to be brother and savior, to be connected with other believers. What does it mean to be a part of the family of God? To get us going down that path, let's look at verse 20. So we're gonna start in Mark chapter three, verse 20. It says here that when Jesus went home, and, and not to his own home, but probably speaking here of Peter's home, there in Capernaum, this is kind of a home base for Jesus, but there's this language here of when, when he went home, the crowd gathered again so that the people there in the home could not even eat. We've talked about this multiple times in Mark, and we're going to keep talking about it. In Mark, there are three groups of people that as you read the book, you're supposed to think, where do I fit in here? There's the religious leaders who are opposed to Jesus, always trying to get in the way of Jesus' ministry, ultimately will work toward his death. There's the religious leaders. There are the crowds that live out on the fringes, and they're really uncertain about Jesus. Like, they're not completely opposed to Jesus, but they're not sure they want to follow Jesus either. So you've got the crowds out there, and then you have the disciples, who they're committed to Jesus, but man, they struggle. Like, they, they stumble, and they fall, and they doubt, and they're not sure, but they're staying connected to Jesus. And so all throughout the gospel, you're trying to see the people that are being talked about are the, the religious leaders, are they the crowds, or are they the disciples, the ones that are committed to Jesus? And that's what we're trying to get to, to be disciples of Jesus. But then there's this question, what about Jesus' own family? Well, look here at these sandwiches, because I know you love the sandwiches in Mark, all right? So these sandwiches that we've been looking at. And think about the way this section is put together. Mark chapter 3, you have some verses about the crowds, and then Mark will interrupt that and talk about the calling to the disciples. And then he'll come back and he'll make a reference to the crowds, like in verse 20. And so what we're trying to think is, are we a part of the crowd or are we a part of the disciples? And then immediately, he stacks another sandwich on top of that one. Now, you know, anybody can eat a single-layered sandwich. But when you get to the double-layered sandwich, like the McAllister sandwich or something that's like layered multiple levels you're reaching high level of sandwich eating at this point. So it's the first sandwich, crowds, disciples, crowds. And then Mark throws another sandwich at you, family, religious leaders, family. What's he doing here? He's asking the question, Jesus' family, are they going to align with the religious leaders 
or are they going to follow him as well? What does it mean to be a part of the family of Jesus here? Look at verse 21, immediately after. You see this kind of playing itself out. In verse 21, he's starting that second sandwich. Verse 21, when his family heard about it, when Jesus' family heard about these crowds and how they're crowding in on him, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now, people in your family may say that about you as well. Like, you've got the family member, and everybody's like, man, they're just out of their mind. Like, I don't know what they're doing. We've all got that kind of, that family member. And who knows, we may be that family member that other people talk about. But they see Jesus here, and they're like, he's out of his mind. What's he, what's he doing here? And so they take it upon themselves to go out and seize him. This is strange language, because what are they doing? It's like they're preventing his ministry from going forward. They're going to do the same kind of work that the religious leaders are going to do later in the gospel. They're saying, you, you can't do this, you can't live like this, and they're gonna take control of Jesus' ministry. And then you have all these verses about the religious leaders who are being opposed, and so in your mind you're thinking, is Jesus' own family going to be opposed to him? Is Jesus' own family going to turn against him? Look down at verse 31. In verse 31, after this section about the religious leaders, his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. Okay, a couple of things to see going on here. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, doesn't tell us much about Jesus' actual family. You don't get the birth story. Like Matthew and Luke tell you about the birth of Jesus and some about the family of Jesus. Mark doesn't give you any of that. We don't learn much about Jesus' family. What we do find out later in the gospel is that most likely Jesus' earthly adoptive father, Joseph, has died at this point. There's a couple of indications that say, we don't know for sure, but most likely Joseph ha has passed away at this point. We know that Jesus has at least four brothers. There are references made to brothers, and, and four different ones are named. Also, Jesus has some sisters who are probably still living back in Nazareth. So they haven't come to Capernaum. They're probably still with their husbands and their families back in Nazareth. Nazareth. And so Jesus has these family members who hear about what's going on. And what do you find there in 31? What is this family doing? They're standing outside, and they called him. All right, if you underline things in your Bible, or you mark things in your Bible, underline the word outside, and underline the word called. Because what's going on here is this image of a house is being developed, and those who are inside the house are wanting to know more about Jesus. They're drawn to Jesus and going to commit themselves to him. Those who stand outside of the house, it's their way of saying, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that Jesus is really the right thing for me. He's, he's crazy, he's out of his mind. We're gonna stay as far away from that as possible. They're standing outside. Where's his family? Outside the house. It's their way of separating themselves from Jesus. And it says that they called Jesus. They're trying to call him away from his ministry. In the Gospel of Mark, who's supposed to do the calling? Jesus is. Jesus is the one who calls people to follow him, and here his family is stepping in and saying, no, 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 you don't know what you're doing. We'll take over from here. We're gonna call you away from what God has sent you to do. They're getting in the way of his ministry. And point number one I want you to see today is that Jesus' family struggled with faith. 
you may have family members who struggle with faith in Jesus. And can I just say you're in good company because Jesus did as well. <laughs> Even Jesus had family members who struggled with faith. This idea that we develop sometime is for some people, faith seems to come pretty easy. Like their hearts are drawn to Jesus, they, they trust in God, they're committed to him, and there are other people, faith doesn't come that easy. And you may be that person in your family that you get so discouraged because it seems like everyone else in your family, faith is just really simple to them and they like to come to church and they're committed to Jesus and they never have the same questions about God that you have and you just struggle with faith. And, and either you feel this weird temptation in your home just to hide it and, and play along or you just kind of hang out in the background a little bit because you're struggling with faith. Can I tell you today, if you're struggling with faith, that's okay. Jesus' own family struggled with faith. What we want to ask the question is, who is Jesus? What's he up to? What's he calling people to? And we're going to get to that in, in a moment. But I just wanted to begin this morning with this reality check that even Jesus' own family struggled with faith. And it won't be until the cross and the resurrection that they're finally going to see who Jesus is. In your family, it may take a lot of pain and darkness, and it may take the power of the resurrection, God doing something really unique in your family to draw people to faith. Look at the next verses, look at verse 32. Verse 32, a crowd was sitting around him. Now that's interesting, because up to this point, the crowds have always been outside. Here they're kinda coming in closer. They're interested in Jesus, they're drawing closer to him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. At which point, we would expect Jesus to say, okay, hey, thanks for letting me know. Let's call a little time out here on the sermon and I'll go outside. If my mom and brothers show up during a service outside and want to see me, go ahead and interrupt me. That's okay. Like if they've come to see me, it's probably an emergency. Like we probably need to talk. Here, Jesus is doing his job. Think about if you're doing your job and your family shows up at work and, you're, and somebody comes into your office and says, hey, your wife's here. Guess what you do? You stop work and go and check on what's going on. Or, or those of you that are married, you may have that like, system where if you're working and your spouse or your kids call once, it could have been an accident. If they call twice, it probably wasn't an accident. If they call three times, pick up the phone. Like there's something going on. Like you, it's okay to be bothered at this point. So Jesus' family is coming in. They're trying to see what's going on here. Verse 33, what does he do? Jesus answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Now this is strange, <laughs> but this is what Jesus does so often. Something comes up and he answers their statement with a question. He turns it around because it's a teaching opportunity. He's going to use this opportunity to help people know more about him. Verses 34 and 35. Looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here, the ones who are drawn near to me, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, in the early manuscripts, as the copies of the Bible are being made, 
There are different distinctions in these verses about where the word sister is put in and not put in, but all the early manuscripts are focusing in on the word sister being included here. The best of those early manuscripts are including the word sister. And Jesus is doing something really profound here where he is doing what he does often in his ministry, reaching out to women and saying, you are coming to be a part of this ministry. You're calling. This is radical in the time of Jesus that he is identifying these women as his sisters, drawing them out to be a part of his ministry. Point number two I want you to see this morning is that Jesus, he begins to define family around faith in him. You see these verses here. Who are his mother and his brothers and his sister? They're those who sat around him and those who do the will of God. If you make notes in your Bible, draw an arrow or make a reference next to verses 34 and 35. Make a note that goes back to verses 14 and 15 in this chapter. So draw an arrow, make a note. These verses right here connect back to verse 14 and 15 in Mark chapter 3. Back there, Jesus says that being one of his followers is about being with him and doing what he says, proclaiming and displaying Jesus. What does it mean to be a part of the family of God? Who is a part of Jesus' family? Not just those who are his blood relatives. That doesn't automatically make you part of Jesus' family. It's those who are with him and those who do what he's called them to do. Those who repent and trust in him and those who put their faith into action. I know this sounds simple, but, but don't miss how important this is. Being part of the family of God is not about your personal family background, it's about faith in Jesus. Even Jesus' own family, if they are not automatically considered part of the family of God, we certainly aren't. That, that our standing before God, our place in God's family, our place in God's kingdom, it isn't based on the family we grew up in even though that's very important. It's not based on something we did as a kid, even though what we do as a kid is important. It's not based on our church attendance. It's based on our faith in Jesus, that we repent and trust in Jesus. We want to be with him. We're drawn to him. And then we want to go out and put that faith into action. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God, which is the question we have to ask ourselves. Are you a part of the family of God? Do you know what it is to trust in Jesus for salvation? Do you know what it is to live for him, to put your faith into action, to be a part of his family? Sometimes, because of the family we grew up in, faith, we're actually turned away from. We saw faith lived out in some really unhealthy ways, or, or we saw people living in a way that dishonored the Lord, and so we're drawn away from faith. This morning, here's what I want you to focus on. What is my relationship with Jesus? Am I a part of the family of God? Do I know that he is my Lord and Savior? Have I trusted in him, and am I living for him? That's what it is to be a part of the family of God. If you're here this morning, you have questions about that. You're unsure about your faith. You're not sure if you're a part of the family of God. You don't know God as Father. When we finish this morning, we're gonna be right up here at the front. We would love to talk with you about that. If you feel uncomfortable talking about that in person, reach out to me afterward. The most important thing you can consider this morning is am I a part of the family of God? Point number three I want you to see this morning is that Jesus' family later came to have faith in him. So in these verses, Jesus' family is opposed to him. They don't, they don't want anything to do with his ministry. 
But we find out in Scripture, later points in the New Testament, that they do come to have faith in him. They're, they're even involved in, in the writing and the development of the New Testament, the development of the church. And I just want to say this to you this morning to say don't give up on your family. Don't give up on praying for your family. Don't give up on loving your family. Don't give up on telling your family about Jesus. Because it took a long time for Jesus' own family to come to have faith in him. It was after the cross. It was after this darkness. It was after this pain. It was after the resurrection that then their eyes were open and they saw who Jesus truly was. I, I would suspect that every one of us here this morning have somebody in our family who doesn't trust in Jesus, doesn't follow Jesus, and if we're not careful, we've almost given up on whether that's actually going to happen. And I just want to remind you this morning, do not give up on them. Continue to pray, continue to love, continue to share with them the good news of Jesus. Sometimes you've said it so many times, what your prayer is, God, send somebody else to say the same thing I've been telling my family all these years. Send somebody to show them your love. Don't give up. Number four, number four, is that Jesus, as he was building his church, he was able to define his church, define the people of God with this image of family. So to be a part of the family of God is to trust in Jesus, to, to be with him, to do his will, and he used this picture of family to say, this is what my church is going to be about. And he did this on a universal scale, like a big picture scale, where we're able to look at somebody in another country and say, that person is my brother or sister in Christ. Like, we're connected as family with believers across time and across the world, that they are truly our brothers and sisters. But he also gives us local churches to experience what it is to be a part of the family of God. I know it sounds old school. I know it sounds traditional. But probably my favorite way to refer to church is just to call it a church family. Just to say that we, we are a part of a family. We are connected together, not because of our shared background, but because of our shared belief in Jesus, that that's what draws us together as a church family. The Bible describes the church as the body of Christ, describes the church as a spiritual temple, but family is one of those greatest images. And here's what's really unique about that. In the New Testament, Jesus creates some tension around this idea of family. Because he elevates marriage. He, he says marriage is a good gift from God. He gets on to the religious leaders when they're not taking care of their aging parents. He won't hear of it. He says you are going to give your money to care, to care for your aging parents. Jesus values family. And at the same time, he says if you really know what it is to be a part of the family, it's to be drawn to know and follow me. <laughs> he redefines family even as he's valuing it. And this is important to us in our world, because we live in a culture that even when weird things are changing related to the family, we still live in a world where people almost worship the family. That our biological family receives greater focus and greater allegiance than does the family of God. Family is a great gift, but a terrible God. Your family, your biological family, your adoptive family, the family you're a part of in this world is a great gift, but it's a terrible God. And if you say, come on, Owen, nobody, nobody worships their family. Ah, 
What does it mean to worship something? To, to give our ultimate attention to it? For, for that thing to determine how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our energy? When you look around the world, what often becomes the idol for somebody? It becomes their kids, it becomes their marriage, it becomes being a grandparent and keeping all the family close together. Family, if we're not careful, can go from being a good gift to turning into a God that we worship. When family is given to show us a picture of God's love and grace, and ultimately what's family designed to do, point us to Jesus, that we know what it is to be a part of the family of God. And this tension that you feel in your heart about that, this tension you feel in the New Testament, it, it even shows up in how we do church. Because in a church, we want to be promoting marriages, and we want to be valuing families, and we want to strengthen families. That's a good thing. We want to provide resources and encouragement and, and help you in those ways. But at the same time, when you think about being a church, it's not just this grouping of biological families that come together. When we gather as a church, we are family. And this is such, such important news if you're here and you're single. Maybe you're single because of a choice, a, a lifelong commitment you've made. Maybe you're single and it's not your choice and you really not like to be single and you would be glad if that season came to an end sometime. Maybe you're single because of, of being widowed or divorced. Jesus identifies with, dignifies, and empowers those who are single to be part of the family of God. That as the church, we should be the best place for someone to be who is single because they are gathered together as part of a family, not thinking about something they might be missing out on because that's not how Jesus operates, but thinking about something that Jesus draws them to. And, and I just want to say from my own, my own position here, if, if our approach to ministry or the fact that way too many of my sermon illustrations are, are geared toward the idea of a marriage and kids and family, if we ever do anything to devalue or to demean or to overlook someone who is single in our church family, I want to apologize to you for that because that is not in keeping with the way of Jesus. It's not keeping with the word of God. That if you are single, that you are made part of the family of God and we need you. That as the church, we care for and we call out those who are single to follow Jesus and we connect together as, as part of the church and care for one another. And this is one of the beautiful parts about having a deacon body. This is one of the great parts about having a deacon body, that you have deacons in place who are caring for widows who don't have families to care for them. That as a church, one of the ways we value generations and we value those who are single and we value people in need is we have deacons who are looking to care for families, looking to step into gaps, looking to care for these widows because we value people across all ages and we want to do that as part of a church. Last Sunday, on Mother's Day, uh, I went down for the weekend with, with my youngest, and we hung out with my family. I don't think I'd been with my own mom on Mother's Day for about 20 years uh, because of life and profession and, and things that, that I'm doing. So we went down and spent time with, with my mom and, and saw my grandma and caught a ton of fish and had a great time and then went to the church on Sunday that I grew up in. And I saw my first grade teacher there uh, who, who taught me to love reading and 
Her husband was my first pastor, and so I was able to see my first grade teacher and see people in that church family that I looked up to that were brothers and sisters in Christ, and even people I graduated with that, that we reconnected. And last Sunday was this, it was this picture of the value of biological family who tell you about Jesus and point you to Jesus, and at the same time, it was a picture of a spiritual family, a church family, who comes around you and helps you to continue to follow Jesus. And so this morning, don't hear me devaluing family. Hear me uplifting the family of God. That what it means to be a part of the family of God is that we turn from our sins and trust in Jesus and we live out that faith together. As we wrap up this morning, what I want to do is I want to guide us through a couple of responsive questions, thinking about God's work in your own life. I'm going to guide us here in just a moment through a time of prayer. And then after we finish that time of prayer, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a short chorus together that, that many of you who have been around church for a while will know about being part of the family of God. We're going to sing that together and then we're going to go out of here to live out our faith. After we've seen that course, if you have questions, we're gonna be right down here at the front. If you need somebody to pray for you, I want you to come down and be a part of that time of prayer. But right now, would you bow your heads with me? I wanna lead you through a couple of elements of prayer before we've seen that final course together. With your head bowed, nice closed, let me ask you the first question. Would you be able to say in your own life that you know what it is to be part of the family of God, that you have confessed Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that you trusted in him for salvation, that you know what it is for God to be, to be your father and your king. If you're here this morning and you struggle with faith, and you say, I don't know if I'm part of the family of God. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know where I would go when I would die. Can I call you this morning to turn to Jesus? That turning to Jesus is not based on how smart you are. It's not based on having your life all together. It's not based on the family you grew up in. But that you would know him. That you would know that he died on the cross for your sins. And he rose from the dead to provide life eternal. That today would be the day that you would become a follower of Jesus. Are you a part of the family of God? Let me ask you as well right now to pray for people in your own biological family, in your circle, who are not followers of Jesus. You may be praying for kids or grandkids who have gone far away from God, far away from church. Kids, you may be praying for your parents, that they struggle with faith, that they, they're not following Jesus. Would you pray, with, pray for your family just for a moment? Pray for your kids, your siblings, your parents. Pray that they would come to know how good Jesus is. Pray that marriages and families in our church would be strengthened. Pray that singles in our church family would be loved and valued and called out to ministry, would be connected in our church family.
And lastly, if you're not a part of a local church family, can I call you to connect to a church family that when you go through difficulty, when you struggle with faith, when you think about what it is to follow Jesus, that church is not a crowd, it's not an organization you belong to, it's not a bunch of religious leaders trying to get people together, that church is family. And that if you're not part of a local church, that today you would make that commitment. God, what does it mean to be a part of a church family? Father, thank you for these verses. Thank you for how Jesus challenges us not to worship family, but to receive family as a gift. And what we're really called to do is to trust in him, to be drawn to him, to live out that faith. And God, I pray that that would happen in our lives. And God, thank you for the people here, part of that family of faith. God, thank you for that gift. Send us out, Father, to be your family in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 